Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Hey everybody, what's up? It's Twig117. We've got the full crew, myself, Joe Kim, Mishka Katkoff, Eric Kruss, and Adam Telfer. And today we are going to be covering four articles first. A new PUBG mobile game is on the way from Pocket Gamer. Second, report Tencent raising billions to buy EA Take-Two or others from Tweaktown. Third, Vicarious Visions merged into Blizzard by GamesIndustry.biz. And finally, strategy and sports predictions from the Deconstructor of Fun blog. What's up, guys? What's going on? Who has the uh, the worst shooter face? Me or, or JK this, this week? <laughs> you you actually jay dude you look I, refreshed I joseph <laughs> joseph joseph still, still pulling the hours. I <laughs> i'm still pulling the hours but it's all good it's all and good. i i want to i want to say that adam now has a background fitting of a game yeah you've master. got the best background now adam that is the yeah. coolest it yeah. almost looks it almost looks fake it's it's actually almost too yeah. well organized I'll, I'll say that but it is amazing it's basically a ton of uh, uh packaged goods games and characters and a, a super nes and all kinds of cool stuff so he looks like a true gamer now he can, i i respect that better than the one little poster on a white wall Right, that's that's no good. <laughs> Much better. But the thing is, I have to talk to all these devs, right? That don't believe me that I play games. Right? <laughs> this is this is this an is, investment in my future. This looks extremely fake, by the way. Look at look at the uh, Super Nintendo, the games, the way they're laid out. It's almost yeah. like in uh, like I, mean, the, uh, I used to have stacks and stacks of Super Nintendo games, but then unfortunately, like going through my parents' basement, came up and you know only there was only like eight 
eight or nine of them. And I was like, wait, I used to have so many more than this, right? So now I got to go find a whole bunch of my old games in order to have that collection. But I don't know. I got, got everything in there. It's based on my old childhood. In my right. background, I'm, I'm perpetrating. I got the weights and I got an exercise bike. You know, I, I, I'm still doing 15 by 50, right? I'm going to get 15% body fat by 50. I got a long way to go, but I got six months to do it, right? So I'm, I'm still, I'm going. So I'm not perpetrating too much because I'm, I'm, I'm going at it. The but, funniest I, you know what, but you know why I'm doing this? Because I feel like I need to get an executive position at EA. I have to hit that BMI <laughs> target so that I get the, the, get, get the inbound to go work at EA as an exec, right? Otherwise, I can't do it. They say, look, you're too fat. Dude, your BMI is 20 plus. No, thank you. I think well, so EA's hiring. I keep seeing this LinkedIn ad. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I, I, I just think I need to get to that 15% BMI. And then the, the, the offers will start coming in, right? All day long, right? Just, yeah, come on, join us. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, this is the biggest discussion that we had based on Twigs is Eric's bike and how to get lean like that was all the rave on the slack channel like that that caused know, it's like discussion with different lifting systems and lift different ways to to lose weight so i think we're doing something right i think we're doing something right here <laughs> yeah the amount of time i've spent like optimizing exercise i probably could have spent a lot more you know more more of that valuable time actually learning something about video games or reading a book or something but all right, i think anyway, the audience right, is getting on. more guys let's go adam updates <laughs> um i've got one big self-serving update um i'm recruiting so i'm looking for senior level up to director level product managers uh to work at wb with me and um what's nice about this role um you get to work in kind of a central product team uh, we're advising teams on product strategy as well as live operating mobile and hd games uh the product or the the role is fully remote so uh, i work in toronto um the the studios are all across north america and in the uk uh, so from my perspective i don't really care where you live um as long as you know we can work together um and you know push some organizational change um, that's my big update. Um, besides that point, Tencent uh, bought a majority stake in Don't Starve Maker Cly Entertainment. Um, I love these guys. Um, I've, I've played a lot of their games, and they started off with games like Market the Ninja. Uh, but of course, most recently, it's games like Don't Starve or Oxygen Not Included. Um, so these guys are games as a service style indie developers, and you know, pretty small, but at the same time, their games retain very, very well. Um, and I love this company because I think um, Jamie Chang did an amazing GDC talk. Um, I forget what year it was, but it was called Be Spiky. Um, and I highly recommend going out and watching that presentation. It was great. Um, so from Jamie Chang, I think his reason for this was, you know, Tencent is the only company that we felt would let us actually retain the level of control that we demand. Um, so I definitely wish him the best and uh, looking forward to continue playing those games. Eric is shaking his head. You don't like Clyde? No, nah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, in context of like what the other news story on this is of like. Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's small, but at the same time, I, I do love their games. Joe. All right. And two quick updates for me. First, the Carlisle Group, which is a global investment firm, announced it acquired Jagex, the makers of the old school browser MMO RuneScape. So actually, last year in 2020, RuneScape had a revival with a new all time high for online subscribers at more than 1.2 member 1.2 million members and Jagdax is headquartered in the UK and employs about 450 people 
Terms of the acquisitions were not announced, but rumored to be at least $530 million, which was the price paid for the company back in just May of last year when it was acquired by MacArthur Fortune Holdings. So a quick turnaround in terms of changing hands yet again. And speaking of Tencent, InView, or actually, sorry, not Tencent, NetEase, Tencent's competitor, TechCrunch had reported that there was a $35 million round of financing as part of a group of investors, including not only NetEase, but other folks such as Structural Capital as well. And there was also talk by the CEO of Together Labs, which is now the new parent organization of InView, that there will be a partnership with NetEase where they'll bring some of NetEase's technology and capabilities and integrate that into InView. Eric? All right. One, one quick note on Jagex, because actually we looked at Jagex when I was at Kabam, but like... You want to talk about a huge mismatch of IP and and game. Jagex tried to create a Transformers MMO, right? And I don't know if you remember it. It was an absolute train wreck. Now, first off, I don't think Jagex had the had the had the uh, what's the right word the chutzpah or the team. Let's say the team to actually build this thing from the get go. But what a what a what a <laughs> Just, it was just a dumb idea, just generally speaking. So I think they canceled that project and and moved on and, and doubled down on uh, RuneScape. But these guys have been around for a long time. And this RuneScape game, I think, just mints money, just generally speaking. But they've never been able to do a second. They've never had a second second game, I suppose. All right, next, uh, GameStop. So we could talk about this for hours. There's just so much stuff going on with this GameStop stock. Um, it, it is, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it to some degree. But anyway, the point is that this game was this company has been left for dead for a long time. The stock has been wallowing at the $5 range from a high of 50-55 back in the heyday, right? Um, until this co-founder of Chewy, which is some online retailer for fucking pet shit, right? Announced that that they were getting a minority, uh, you know, a stake in the company as well as a board seat. And so Basically, this thing has taken off and had a life of its own since that time, right? So before this, this stock was so heavily shorted that more shares were short than were available in the public markets, meaning the float of shares that were available, there were more short than, than actual shares outstanding. So this basically created a huge incentive to do a short squeeze, which basically means that go buy the stock and ask everyone else to buy the stock and it squeezes a short so they have to sell, right? So to be clear, from a fundamental perspective, I haven't been covering this company in a long time because it's been left for dead, right? Their, their business is absolutely getting destroyed, okay? Not only are they losing share on the digital side, but they are losing share on, on at retail to Walmart, Target, and Amazon, right? Chewy and, and this investment doesn't change any of the fundamental facts of, of the, the fundamentals of this company, right? And the, and, and the notion is that e-commerce is going to build these guys up, but this e-commerce is mice nuts compared to the rest of their business. And their primary driver of their profitability is used business. And, and e-commerce doesn't help with used at all, right? That's not a way of executing against used. There is no more used business because digital is like, like 60% of the business these days. Anyway, and, and, and in, in 2020, 50% of the used business was down 50%. So fundamentally, this company is a fuck sword, okay? hundred percent. Right. But this has nothing to do with fundamentals. Okay. This has nothing to do with fundamentals. These are people on the fucking internet using social media to hype up this stock and get people in buying, buying, buying in a fervor. This stock has gone from $5 a share where 
probably is where the value should be to over 120 at one point. And I think it's sitting at around 90 right now. This stock has become a fucking meme. This is not, this is not fundamental, right? And so while a lot of Wall Street guys are kind of losing their ass because everyone was short the stock, and I, you know, I feel a bit sorry for them. The, 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 the next people that are going to get screwed is anybody that's following on in this crap. And this stock is going to be down at like, you know, in the, in the, probably a 10 to 20 in, in the next few months, I would imagine. But anyway, I don't know, dude. So anyway, this, this has been happening with other stocks that are heavily shorted, not just GameStop, but GameStop is the most dramatic. And there should be lawsuits and investigations and, you know, directors are selling like it's a nightmare, dude, but it's, it's fun to watch. Um, as long as you're not involved, luckily, None of my clients are involved except for one who I have to hold his hand every every week <laughs> as he watches this happen. <laughs> but but he can handle it because he's a he's he's a he's a uh, he's an adult. Well, sort of anyway. But nonetheless, uh, it's a really interesting thing to watch, and and we'll see see where it ends up. But I don't think it's going to end up well. But um, there is other stocks as well, right? Like I, I was reading actually yeah. just this morning. What is it? BlackBerry stock as well as Nokia stock. They're both yeah. pumping this on, on well, and, and the original one was uh, was uh, uh, Kodak, right? Which is still at nine dollars, and the fundamentals of that company haven't <laughs> changed at all either. So, this is like um, another sign of like a frothy market where you know you know Robinhood and other investment vehicles and these you know Fortran. What, what is that? What is the what is the Reddit? Reddit's been the one that's been driving a lot of this this uh, hype and stuff, and so. Again, I just want to be clear that this is not a fundamental trade. This is just a basically a total momentum trade from a bunch of probably pretty pretty smart and savvy day traders. But there will be people that are left holding the bag as as you get into this thing at this level, right? Because <laughs> you're buying a stock for a hundred that's worth five. Okay, it like, feels like Bitcoin, right? Like yeah. where it's just <laughs> so many people are going to get hosed when this comes back down. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, moving on. All right, let's talk about let's talk about article about EA. So this is on Game Industry Biz, and this actually flew across us. This came in November. So the article says FIFA leads renewed mobile strategy at EA. So EA is preparing a major push for FIFA on mobile, with CEO Andrew Wilson confirming that six mobile games based on the license are currently in development. So I'm quoting Andrew here. He said Jeff Carp, so who's the new head of mobile at EA has a tremendous network out there in the mobile sphere. And there are a lot of great developers out there who have a lot of experience and expertise, but they do not have the IP to build their games around or the marketing muscle to really drive acquisition and what is becoming an increasingly competitive market. So in, in kind of my view, it seems a little bit of an overkill to do six FIFA mobile game titles at the same time. Um, and EA is, is clearly looking into licensing, which is somewhat smart. Um, you know, they, they, they're kind of merging the big fish strategy with EA strategy. So the problem that I see here is that EA has been really good at production. Uh, it has good IPs. It, it's good at executing very beautiful looking games, but it has been traditionally quite weak when it comes to publishing and growing games, apart from Star Wars. And, and even that game got outgrown by Scopely's Marvel game. So it's really interesting to see if EA is truly pushing to this towards this sort of a big fish strategy where they find um, solid developers from somewhere Eastern Europe, like they've done before, and then bundle them up with an IP that EA owns uh, is that uh, if that strategy works, but in order for that strategy to to be executed properly, my opinion is that they would 
most likely need to beef up their publishing strength. And that will probably lead to acquisition of, of somebody who, who actually has expertise in publishing games. And, and that will be companies like Network or Superscale that, that, are, that are probably a good fit. So what are your guys' take on this? Uh, I'm, I don't want to comment too much on this. This is a little bit too close to home, but I, I, I do think that uh, refocusing on mobile makes sense. Jeff Karp is is probably the right leader because he has clout within the organization to make that happen. I mean, I was hearing about these plans like, what, about six months ago or eight months mm -hmm. ago, but, but nonetheless, it's like um, six titles on FIFA. That doesn't make any sense. I, that seems to be taken out of context, like six titles that have licenses, not six FIFA games, right? That makes no, no, no. sense. Actually, Andrew Wilson reiterated in that there was a quote where he reiterates six FIFA games on mobile because that's what the reporter was like. You mean six, six FIFA games or six EA sports games? Like, no, 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 six FIFA games. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but whatever. Anyway, I, I do think their license approach is going to be probably good, particularly in an era post-IDFA, right? They just have these huge licenses that will help organics and get them the featuring. And FIFA is obviously a huge draw as well. So they I think I think they're I think they're going down the right path. Um and and they will be more of a competitor going forward in mobile than they have been in the past. I mean, Andrew's freaking ignored this thing for the last six years. Like he's done absolutely nothing since Star Wars released. If you think about it, it's like mind blowing, right? The market is growing up like 25 to 30% a year. And he's sitting there on his fucking hands doing well, nothing, Eric, you know? Eric, in, in fairness, I don't think it's from lack of trying. I think it's been more from the fact that the valuations that they were seeing weren't no, I've been talking about this for the fucking last, since we started this podcast. The Andrew fucking doesn't give a shit about mobile and he has made no investments in execs or teams but, to build but mobile they've games. they've been in every deal for the past two or three yeah. years. No, again, because, <laughs> but they haven't pulled the trigger because Andrew hates fucking mobile, right? Well, so, well yeah, I, I it's a valuation you, issue. But it's not, but it's a strategy issue. Like he doesn't want to do mobile, so he's not going to spend the money to do that, right? So I'm telling you, it comes from Andrew directly, right? And, and my point is, I think they are actually making the right moves as long as Jeff has, has, has a wide berth. I do agree that he'll do acquisitions and not of network. God, network, come on, dude. But, um, <laughs> but hopefully he'll get some teams under his belt that actually can make some fucking games, you know? Like they haven't made a game since Star Wars, right? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like the Sims, SimCity actually was a decent game with the team out there, but that team is gone, right? Command so, and Conquer. Anyway, Command to Conquer, yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, all right. Eric, making more on. friends for us on podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. I, dude, I'm I'm blaming Andrew, not 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 the team at, at EA. I mean, the, the the team at EA, I'm sure, feels so frustrated because they have no resources in order to build the shit that they're seeing in the market, right? With these amazing IPs, right? I mean, it's just a missed opportunity. But you know, the markets moved back to them now with IDFA. They they have the brands. They have you know, the IP, let's just fucking make something happen, dude. But six games on FIFA, I don't even get that. That didn't make sense to me still. I, I, that uh, You don't need that. <laughs> you need one good game. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right, moving on. Okay, people, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsor, Beta Hat, and then we will be right back. So stay tuned. I want to talk about consumer insights. Honestly, I've always had issue with consumer insights. I questioned the value and felt that CI was always somewhat disconnected from the real world. The big issue with CI firms is they don't hire people that know anything about video games and therefore don't have a fundamental understanding of what matters in this business. 
That's why I like Beta Hat. Beta Hat knows the business of video games and understands how to connect consumer insights to the real world. And Beta Hat helps you understand your customers, understand not only what they do, but why. They specialize in customer segmentations, brand tracking, messaging and positioning, pricing and skew planning, and playtesting through qualitative and quantitative research. There are about 10 people in this industry that I rely upon to understand trends. And one of them is Stan Kwan, the CEO of Beta Hat. Beta Hat is the best CI team in the industry. Go to betahatmr.com for more information. That's betahatmr.com. Welcome back from the commercial break, and let's start the news. Okay, first news story. Uh, a new PUBG mobile game is on the way. This was covered by pocketgamer.biz. Um, the announcement is that more PUBG games, notice games sequel, um, are on the way in the next couple of years. Craft uh, and CEO Kim Chang-Hung, um, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, uh, will not stay saying that that Crafton will not stay as a one-hit wonder. And Crafton, uh, as you know, um, you know, is, is the owner of Blue Hole, who is the ones that actually create PUBG. Um, so, uh, or PUBG Corp. Later this year, there's going to be a new mobile battle royale game, which is based on the PUBG universe. And the plan is, is that in 2022, there's going to be a new PC console game uh, in the PUBG universe as well. Um, so the big thing is that they want to try to leverage the PUBG IP to create an even bigger franchise. And this is on the back of their $27 billion IPO they're planning. Uh, so likely they are just you know, trying to fan a bit of the flames there. Um, my take on this, you know, PUBG game on mobile, I don't expect it to create anything close to 10 cents PUBG numbers. Um, the success of that game has a lot, like less to do with IP and a lot more to do with the insane cosmetic and in-game event treadmill that they are operating on that game. Uh, very few companies can replicate that level of uh, investment and success. So, a more authentic PUBG mobile, I don't think really has a, a chance against Tencent and uh, um, the, their teams. So, okay, the second one was PUBG on PC console. Sure, it makes sense. That's their battleground. That's where they have most expertise. Um, I wonder where they take it, speculating, um, but it, ideally it retains, you know, its survival genre roots and finds something new. Um, I'm assuming they aren't going to turn this into Call of Duty and start adding story and narrative to this world. Not sure how many people are going to show up for that chicken dinner. Um, I'd just be questioning why they're thinking multiple games as a franchise instead of feeding the game and the services they have. This is my live services brain thinking, but why launch all these new games with its own modes and its own content and its own treadmills instead of launching more modes and content within the games they actually have? Um, and of course, broadening the reach of that game. Uh, I guess that wouldn't make great for IPO hype, but from a games as a service point of view, I feel that building on existing is always better than broadening your products and SKUs. Uh, Eric? I mean, I, I think this is all part of like, you know, striking while the iron is hot, right? Go public when everyone's going public, right? I mean, even huge games. Didn't you, aren't you guys doing an interview with those guys? <laughs> They're like a 150 million, whatever. Anyway, all right. But, um, you know, so they're priming, like you said, they're priming the pump for the IPO, right? And so they they would say, "All right, we got this great pipeline of product that's coming. We're going to grow. We don't. We're not just a one-hit wonder." I mean, the guy said it <laughs> specifically. That's, I mean, that's the feedback I'm sure he's getting from investors. But this is the time to do it. Um, I'm not really too familiar with how big this team is and how many teams they have and what their capabilities are. I just not something I have to learn 
clearly if they are a $30 billion company, I'm going to have to learn something about them. Um, but I would actually look at acquiring other teams so they can diversify. Like they don't want to pull a supercell, right? And just sit there with a hundred people and make the same game over and over again, right? You know, they want to like diversify and, and build something else that's unique, that, that does not compete directly with their existing games and cannibalize themselves to oblivion, right? So let's move on, right? And, and, and actually build teams that actually build new stuff, right? So that's the strategy that I would do. And so when maybe when they go public, they'll have the asset, the resources to do so and, and start acquiring other teams that can help build new games and, and build their things. They also have a fucking, um, they have an issue with the uh, branding. Jesus Christ, let's like come up like with a consistent brand. What is this craft shit? And then the blue hole, and then pub, like, <laughs> I, I totally like, get confused between this craft and blue make, hole, and then there's PUBG Corp. Yeah, they're they're, they're all separate. Dude, fix that shit. First of all, Crafton is a stupid fucking name, right? Blue hole, I think I like, right? Let's just move. Let's like, like get consolidated. Blue hole is your favorite. <laughs> all right, you're right. I, I think about the Blue Man Group every time somebody says blue hole. All right, moving on. <laughs> Um, so I don't know. My my kind of question is: that, Is the current mobile of PUBG the PUBG mobile? Is that published by Tencent, or is it made by, or is it published by Crafton? Because on this podcast, Adam has been talking a lot about, especially the live ops and how how Tencent has really been able to outgrow the original version of PUBG with the mobile version that has just a totally different type of approach. I mean, of course, the the first one is had a, had a you had to pay for it and the second one is free to play so i'm kind of you know asking is is the reason for this that they're launching more of these games to kind of get themselves out of uh, under 10 cent and the secondly is like i know we're going to cover in the in the next uh, article the report of 10 cent raising billions i think this might be one of the strategy for craft and blue hole or whatever you want to call them to kind of get uh, a very high valuation for potential 10 cent acquisition yeah, I think, you know, that's a good point in terms of potentially trying to get out from under Tencent. But I think the other thing that we've been seeing in PUBG is, for example, the new Metro Royale mode, I would assume that they just stripped that out. It doesn't fit within the same, or it would be better optimized under a different economy. So that that's what I would do. And I think that mm. makes a lot of sense. And to Eric's point, yeah, I mean, there's it's just a great time to be going public and launching another game in the face of that. It just makes a lot of sense. So I'm personally a huge fan of Crafton, PUBG, as well as, you know, the, the Tencent and those other guys, they've kind of paved the path before for both Mishka and myself. So, you know, and they've made great products, but it'll be exciting to see. And it's great to see more companies that are public. I'm sure for you, Eric. Yeah, for sure. And, and I actually want to be clear. I was just being, I always like to talk shit about Supercell because everyone like has it. <laughs> good that we're covering it. Fluffs, fluffs them up at any moment. Like the, <laughs> the, the, the considerations are completely different though because Supercell was a privately traded private company. They could do whatever the hell they want, right? And then that, that's what they did, right? Fine. But these guys are public, right? <laughs> In order to be public and dealing with shareholders on a quarterly basis, you need to freaking grow, right? And you can't grow and, and, and get people's confidence if it's just one game that you're relying upon. So therefore they do have to diversify. They are, they will be forced to diversify. And that's, I think why this, this whole thing, this whole, yeah. you know, his, the CEO is talking about this because that's what they're going to have to do. So. Yeah. Not to go off on a tangent about Supercell, Eric, but I, I, I do think, and you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Supercell, but to your point, I think the thing that they haven't done to your point 
is a fundamental re-examination re of how the market has changed and to shift with the times. But we're yeah. going to cover that in a in a moment if we get uh, down right. to prediction because we're going okay, to talk right, about right, right. Riot. So <laughs> I'll, I'll I have, I have a little bit of taking for you guys and kind of explaining why those things. Uh, okay. But do you guys, by the way, remember when PUBG launched in mobile? I remember it like it was yesterday because it was during GDC 2018. It was like it came out and it had no monetization. Like you could not pay in that game. It was so yeah. bold from, yeah. from Tencent. They were like, here it is. We don't even care if you pay for this. Just play. And now it's making gazillion dollars. It's just insane. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next news report, which is basically Tencent raising billions to buy EA, Take-Two, or others. And this is an article from Tweaktown, which I don't think I've ever heard of. But according to them, a Tencent is raising billions on a debt offer and may force a hostile takeover of a US-based company. And just to be clear, this is speculation. But according to the article, quote, insiders believe Tencent could be going after GTA parent company Take-Two Interactive or possibly EA. And then Tweaktown also goes on to say that according to quote sources, that potentially the more likely scenario is South Korean developer Netmarble or maybe even Nexon. So my own take on this is that while I think it's possible that Tencent could be going after a US-based company, we should remember that it was just a few months ago, like end of September, that CFIA started a series of inquiries to screen shareholders for national security risks, right? And further, as we've already reported here on this podcast, publications like the Wall Street Journal consider console game data as a major breach of US privacy. And you could argue that things will be different under Biden rather than Trump, but I think you could be really wrong about that. I mean, if you've been reading the news lately, there's a lot of increased China-US tensions from Biden opening up relationships with Taiwan to his Buy American Order for Government Procurement to US flying B-52s into the South China Seas contesting Chinese self-declared airspace to recently President Xi Jinping of China kind of recording a message warning the US to back off, right? So my feeling is that Tencent might be unlikely to go after a US company. I'm not saying that they won't, but there is certainly a lot of friction there. And I do think that the China-US stuff is definitely not going down. It's it's at least where it was and it could be increasing. So having said all that, clearly Tencent, do they want to be in the US? Do they want to acquire a company like EA or Take-Two? In my opinion, absolutely yes. And EA or Take-Two would make a lot of sense. In, in fact, that any like company at scale would make sense for them. Tencent wants to have a foothold in the Western market in the US. They also love IP. So whether it's EA or Take-Two or even another public US mobile company or even a company like Gearbox and helping a company like Gearbox get to the next level. So Ooh. having said all of that, given the po political tensions, I'd probably lean towards them probably going after a non-US game company. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they took a shot just to kind of <laughs> test the waters. What do you guys think? Uh, I don't think there's any chance in fucking hell that they could acquire a publicly traded company in the US. Right? I just don't think that's going to happen, particularly on a hostile basis. There's just no fucking way the government would allow that. They just couldn't get through the regulatory bodies of the U.S. to make that happen. And the, the other thing, like the inside baseball stuff, like EA in, 
EA is the best asset for them in, in a lot of ways because of, of the breadth of the portfolio, the sports, the shooters, the action, et cetera, et cetera. And they are just not for sale. Like they have not been for sale forever. I tell my clients this all the time. As long as Larry Probst is chairman, they will maintain their independence forever because there's a fundamental belief that they can build their own shareholder value better on their own than a part of a larger organization like Disney or Warner or certainly Tencent, right? Um, now, money talks, you know, and, and the board and the board has to deal with the shareholders. But I think you could make an argument that they're better off on, on their own. Um, so I kind of agree with the article. I don't know why we're taking quotes. We shouldn't be taking quotes from Tweak Town or where the fuck these outsources, these sources are. But anyway, uh, I think it could be a more of a Korea or Japanese type thing. Japan is notoriously impossible to acquire companies in Japan, right? The restrictions are so insane. Korea has got to be pretty close to that as well. But Netmarble, Net, you know, Nexon was been for sale for a while. Um, uh, so those could be the possible acquisitions, or it is possible that they do do an open market investment in a publicly traded company, like pick up a 10 to 15% stake um, of equity to try to push something. I mean, that's possible, uh, but I don't know. It would get lots of lots of scrutiny. Um, but I, yeah, I don't want to go too political, but I do think that Biden is is going to lay off China more. Uh, going forward. So that might actually open up a little bit more options for Tencent. But, you know, we'll see how that all kind of manifests itself going forward. I'm going to go on the record and say this is going to be Crafton. Because if you look at shoot, like if you look at Tencent and especially Tencent Gaming and their investments, they're they're mainly being investing into shooters. And arguably Tencent is the biggest shooter developer in the world, uh, shooter publisher and developer, like with all the studios that are making different shooters from Fortnite to to PUBG to to the the Chinese version of that, and if Crafton is pushing so hard to become more independent, and not allowing Tencent to publish their one of the key titles on mobile, I think that that just uh, that just forces their hand to to do the acquisition. And we know that that Crafton is looking at a twenty seven point two billion dollar IPO, so that that's a lot of money. And I think Look, Tencent needs to raise. Now, but see the the problem with this whole theory is is that. They could make more money for the shareholders by going public and getting traded than they could just do an acquisition before they go public, right? That, you know what I mean? But like, that would make be, sense. But there might be the issue that you were saying is like once they go public and they are only relying on that one game, there's too much risk. I know, but 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 again, they're more about the short-term gains of going public and getting this big payday than than taking money off the table, right? But yeah. we'll right. See. I mean, who knows? It's it's always an interesting conundrum uh with with these really successful companies as to how best to optimize profit profit for their shareholders right and it's dirty business dude it's just disgusting but like it's just it is what it is right i mean that's how that's how the shit works so um all right are we done okay vicarious visions merged into blizzard so i've been ranting about this for like the last year and so i'm not going to really go off on the deep end on how blizzard is getting destroyed but single-handedly but um this is exactly what i'm talking about though this is exactly what happens when you start you know dismantling studios the way bobby's doing with blizzard so 
Vicarious Visions is now part of Blizzard, which doesn't actually sound that bad, right? They get a new team. It's a PC developer. These guys are freaking amazing, right? They, they, they seem to have a really high-quality team. They've been, they did the Tony Hawk game and the Crash Bandicoot remaster or remake or whatever recently. Uh, very well-received games and very high-quality, particularly the Tony Hawk thing, which was actually not easy, frankly. Um, but what that means is that these old guys will no longer be creating these, these things. They'll be creating something, you know, Blizzard IP, which... I think people, some people were pretty pissed off about, frankly. Um, and according to Schreiber, and this is something I heard last year as well, was that uh, they are working on the Diablo 2 remake, which is supposedly launching this year. So uh, I think that's great for anybody who's a Diablo fan. So, you know, why is this a big deal? For one, they're replacing Team 1, right? So Schreiber, Schreiber's out there. I, I really like this guy. This guy's an animal, right? And and evidently, he's kind of an asshole, too. So I kind of like him. Um uh, but he basically said that they were replacing Team One, which I heard last year was that uh, the guys who were, when I say Team One, I mean the original team, right? They made StarCraft, StarCraft II, Heroes of the Storm, and they also made the terrible remake of Warcraft, which let's, let's not talk about. But this is like one of the original teams of of the organization is being has been dismantled and replaced by an outside team. Okay, that that's huge, right? Um, so they basically stole Diablo II remake from team one at blizzard right which culturally is a fucking big fuck you right to some degree right and so yeah and then finally the third thing is that they're bringing in a, in an outside team to build uh, a blizzard ip right so even though they're part of blizzard they're still in fucking albany new york way far away from direct control of you know in wherever they're fucking where they are i forgot where they are now <laughs> They're in Irvine. Oh, Irvine. Sorry, sorry. I wrote that down. I forgot. So anyway, so they're far away from the management teams at Irvine, and they're building one of the best IPs in the world um, for Blizzard. And so, so anyway, so I think this opens up a lot of possibilities that are a little bit frightening, right? If they open up the IPs to an outside developer in in Albany, New York, why wouldn't they just open up the IP and let people build, you know, new World of Warcraft or a new, you know, Warcraft, right? Like this is this is where it goes. This is how it goes. They've lo they're losing control of their own IP to some degree, and I think, generally speaking, this is probably another death knell for for Blizzard in terms of you know it, cultural and and issues that within the organization. So, uh, now if I take my take take a step back, I'm like, well, this is great because we're going to get a Diablo two remake, which is going to be awesome. They build capabilities within the team. They execute against the skew plan that. Bobby has set and you know these fucking douchebags at, at McKenzie and Bain are happiest clams because their powerpoints are coming true right so maybe maybe this is a good thing but I do think culturally this is a big fuck you to Blizzard and I think there's a lot of people within the organization that are unhappy with this type of move but uh, but ultimately as a consumer I'm going to be happy to get a Diablo 2 remake I don't know what do you think I'm just rambling now <laughs> I've just been talking about this so much. Like, I'm just sick of it, right? It's like, you see what's happening. It's not good, right? But maybe, you know, Bobby will win. Well, you know, you're saying it's not good, but at the same time, it's good for the product. It's not good for the culture, but it seems to be good for actually shipping products, right? Yep. No, I, I, that, yeah, that I agree. Yeah. But, so, but these, this team is amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, this team is just, just a really good team, so... 
Like Vicarious has done an amazing job with the remix that they've been handed, right? Yeah. And they can jump between genres pretty well. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like the Tony Hawk game they did this year was perfect, right? Like that's exactly what you want out of a remake. And, and you have to juxtapose it with like the the remake they did before, which was fucking awful. Like it was so bad, it was unplayable almost. So like, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it was, Vicarious did. Uh, no, no, Vicarious didn't do it. I think someone other team did it. I think at Activision. Oh, you mean sorry? The the Blizzard team that built the World of Warcraft, or said that the Warcraft Reforged is the one that no, you're no, saying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, that that was bad too, right? The Blizzard team yeah. that built the war. Yeah, that was really bad. No, no. I'm saying the 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 Tony Hawk that remaster that they did before was so bad. Like I, it was years uh, ago. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember and, that one. Yeah, yeah it yeah, was yeah, so yeah. awful. And so, like, you know, they really did a good job. So, yeah, I may. Yeah, I, you know, we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. I I do think. I, I've heard really good things about this Diablo 2 remake, so I'm pretty confident that's going to be a great game. So, um, yeah. All right, moving on to predictions. All righty then. So, a couple of predictions that we launched this, this uh, sorry, last week. The number one was, um, sorry, I have a phone call. Okay, so number one was um, Contenders Throw Down for Supercell Midcore Crown. And this one focused on the strategy genre. So Forex, games, build and battle, MOBAs, card battlers, real-time strategy, and so forth. Uh, we we're talking about a 5 billion market that saw about a 21% growth during 2020, which is less than average, but this is nearly as big of a genre of a of a category as as um or as a genre as a puzzle game so second big on mo second biggest on mobile so i'm just going to jump in right into the main points because you can read all of this on the deconstructor of fun uh, blog so uh, fun plus and lilith are getting up there both passed actually supercell and global revenues in q1 of this year uh, so yeah fun plus really coming uh, coming a long way since JK worked there. So, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, guys. Yeah. So, um, so we have a, and, and that kind of leads to, uh, to another point that was raised in, in, the, uh, in the post, and that is Supercell's fifth year in decline. And that's a fifth year in a row. And the second, I'm going to jump in deeper into this. So I'm just going to go on high level. So the second part was Riot's, Riot's Slate uh, missing its mark on mobile. So they launched about three games inside a year, a little bit over than a year. And not, not one of them was able to really scale up. Uh, but anyway, before the predictions, before the Supercell, before the Riot, a couple of highlights. So Scopely became the biggest Forex publisher in the West. So that's, of course, due to the growth of the Star Trek game. But also... Uh, during this time, Machine Zone really declined after the Applevin acquisition. I think they they kind of stopped on a lot of a lot of spending they were doing uh, on the uh, the Final Fantasy title, and also Warner Brothers uh, and their big Game of Thrones title was declining. Of course, the, it's a long time since the series um, was was published, but that game is declining. And we actually dropped a little tidbit that the uh, the executive producer from Game of Thrones actually moved to Scopely. Uh, I don't know what he works on, probably on another 4X title. So that's not a good thing. Anyway, Warner Brothers is also moving back to licensing 4X games, which is very interesting since that's kind of what they did back in the days with Kabam. Probably Eric was working there uh, with the Hobbit game. You remember that one? So, so, so now they're doing a, a Lord of the Ring game uh, clearly a 4X game with NetEase. And I'm not sure what kind of a 4X games NetEase has, but it's definitely not the biggest 4X publisher. So a very interesting, uh, very interesting thing. 
Other tidbits, WWE Supercard by Take-Two passed Hearthstone in revenues. So that was a, 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 a really <laughs> weird thing. Uh, but Hearthstone has definitely been declining. And um, and that's, yeah, definitely not a good sign. And, and that happens when the entire team leaves, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to create their own studio, right? Yeah, I, I, the entire team. <laughs> like 20 people just left in one fucking day. What do you think happens to Hearthstone? I, no? I don't know. It might be because WWE Supercard is such an amazing yeah. game. Yeah, I haven't right. played it. I, <laughs> I kind of doubt. No, I don't doubt. I think it's an amazing game. WWE is, is doing great, especially during the pandemic, because they can do whatever in Florida, apparently. Uh, so... So anyways, uh, and then out of the uh, the sort of like a new new trends, it's the um, the PVP tower defense game. So I'm playing one called Rush Royale. It's actually really fun. There's plenty of different ones. There's actually called, one called Destiny's Child or Destiny Child or something like that. It's, it's fun. It's hard to describe what it is. It has a merge mechanic. It has a tower defense. It's uh, synchronous PVP. You should just test one of them. But Rush Royale is like, um, it's by Mail.ru. And it looks like something that it looks like a demo of a supercell game. So the, the UIs are pretty similar, but the quality is not quite there. But it, it definitely looks like a game that Supercell should be making because it it's yeah, it's it's really, really fun with a small amount of content. Uh, and then other ones is that there's a lot of innovation in the um, in the Forex category. They're coming in with small incremental innovation, like Top War is a good example where they change the core gameplay. Same thing with with Fun Plus's uh, rules of survival. So they change the core game from that simplistic tower uh, city building to maybe a merge mechanic or more of a RPG mechanic. And then they keep the depth of a 4X. And through that, they've been able to scale scale quite nicely. But nevertheless, in the future of 4X, we kind of predicted that there's going to be a IDFA deprecation that will lead to a lot of cross-platform uh, PC clients coming in and IPs as well as more broader themes. But anyway, let's talk about something that JK, no, especially Eric loves to talk about, and that's Supercell. So Supercell saw a 4% decline in the market that grew about 24%. And they, there are only two titles that grew. Well, Heyday was was growing just a little bit, but Brawl Stars grew quite significantly. And we talked about it. It was because of the China launch. And if you look at the numbers in China, it was definitely not a sustainable loss and a sustainable launch. And the game came down quite significantly. So without that... The game would have been without Chinese rev, China revenue coming in. The game would have been growing at about a, you know, few percentage, few percentage, maybe four to to six. So the prediction for Supercell uh, on on our front is we expect changes. So we see that IDFA deprecation will actually not have a big impact on Supercell because their ways of marketing and the channels that they're using, a lot of influencers, a lot of top of the funnel marketing. Um, brand marketing it's it's not going to be affected that much especially since they just you know carpet bomb at launch and just take all the channels and everybody knows the new supercell game is out and they're playing it but despite not taking a shot from the idfa deprecation we still expect that the revenues will continue to decline probably double digit in, in 2021 and and this is mainly expected because because it's going to be because they were their biggest challenge is is content so they're they're having problem in 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 updating so in launching good good updates that actually move the needle for all of the games they do those but there's usually six months in between when they can make a big update that actually has an effect on the overall revenue so we don't see a, a short time change coming it, to it but we still expect that 
that um, that on a short term, a lot of the leadership uh, and especially the the uh, the, the first. Uh, the the original people in the company who have been there for 10 years have seen everything have done everything and have conquered everything they'll probably be moving to you know out of the company because you know why why stay and um and that will lead to more changes inside so we'll probably see supercell taking more strides toward larger team sizes and that will lead to the company culture evolving so as there will be bigger team sizes they're probably going to be a little bit more middle management and that will again cause to the people that originally came to supercell that they were used to a very very different culture they'll probably go somewhere else and maybe set up their own companies and i see supercell actually investing into those companies so uh, overall it's going to be positive in my opinion for for the whole ecosystem in helsinki because we'll have more startups but i'm going to address one thing before i let eric go on this so uh, the real issue which is also the real the, the reason behind supercell success is that there's no centralized, um, you know, product management or product strategy or anything like that. They don't look at different genres and say like, "Hey, there's a hole there. Let's go there. Let's let's target something that makes sense." It's it's you know, it's cool people doing cool shit with full autonomy, um, you know, and and through that because you don't have the centralized command. It's, it's impossible to mandate everybody to change, impossible to say that we need to do this type of game or that type of game because it's not in their culture. So this sort of a sweep of things changing quickly won't happen. It will happen more through the way of one team, let's say Brawl Stars start experimenting with bigger and bigger, like they are already with bigger and bigger and bigger teams. And if they find success that way, other teams can look at that and maybe try to emulate or not, depending on what they want. So that's that's really the system of autonomy that they have. And I don't think that kind of a system is going to change because that's what got them to where they are. Eric? I'm not responding to this. <laughs> I, okay. I, I've, already, I've already expressed my issues with the way supercells run. And they run, they run like a privately private company, and they are a private company. So good. Yep. All right. yeah, but yeah, they're no, going to but... fail. Uh, fail <laughs> you fail making billions well, of dollars no they're going to fail uh, they're going to fail to grow they yeah. are going to fail but, to grow yeah so i mean i think Mishka, you kind of i i would say you you outlined the problems well which is essentially that they're not they haven't been able to adapt organizationally and so uh, you know it it may require to your point different leadership but i think the way in which they're thinking about their organization is just too stagnant Mm -hmm. And so unless they figure out how to do that, how they think about, you know, because they just have the one model and the way that they share learnings between the teams is they just rotate people, which is not a great way. And they only have one team structure and they don't, they don't, you know, modify the team structure to adapt to different kinds of products. So fundamentally, that's the point. If it requires new leadership for them to be able to adapt organizationally, and not kill the things that got them to be as successful as they are, which is really, really valuable, then yeah, they won't, they won't be able to grow. So, so I, I would kind of, I'm not countering that, but it's not per se about leadership, the way we see leadership. It's not like you have to change the CEO or anything to, to change the way things are going. Inherently in the culture of autonomous teams, the teams make the decision of how they want to run their team. I don't think there's anything that says you can't grow to hundred people. Uh, I think that it's just the team that can experiment with that. And if they see success, they can do it. 
I'm saying that because there's no, like Ilka is always talking about how he's the least powerful CEO in games. And that's in a, se- in a sense, it's true because that's not in the culture of the company where you could come in and say like, okay, let's stop this nonsense. We're going to adapt this type of culture. I'm going to turn the, the, the ship around in this way. It's like, no, they are truly autonomous teams and they can choose how they run their team. So uh, the, the leadership change that I'm talking about more is, is the sort of a cultural leadership changing in the company. So as, as the people who have been there, who have done everything, um, they might be, you know, especially after the COVID, when you're locked inside, you have new priorities, you want to spend more time with the families or less time with the family. So you want to start a startup, all these options come in. And through that, there's going to be change, but the sort of a sweeping change by a change of leadership is not possible in an organization like Supercell. Yeah, I guess I would argue that that kind of change has to come from the top down and for them to have different kinds of teams, you know, the change isn't happening even at that at that level in terms of the teams themselves. But there's so no they, top down. There's no like. Do they have any games chart. in beta? Do they have anything coming that we yeah, know they, about? They launch. They, at they least always one have game. something. Yeah, they they have. <laughs> but but, that's what but they is anything in game. beta in market? No, no, not that I know not, of. Not, not that yeah, they're hosed. They're down what 15 percent next year, this year. That's fine. All right, moving on. All right, I, move I, on. I don't know so why we're talking about it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Riot quickly. So. Three games, Runeterra, TFT, and Wild Rift. So, of course, we've covered this, but Runeterra, what was different is they took a novel approach to card acquisition by limiting the rate at which players can acquire cards. So the idea behind this is you limit spend, that way you make the game more fun, and then you monetize long-term, and especially through the cosmetics because people are staying longer. So this is kind of like a League of Legends uh, model. Uh, but as a result, the game is multitude smaller than Hearthstone. We already talked about Hearthstone actually being a little bit smaller than WWE cards. So, and the, the second issue is that when I'm looking at the graph, it's, it's you know, the revenue is not really bumping up in any ways. And it's actually going down for, for Runeterra. And there's no no visible bumps from updates, which is kind of worrisome. So they, they're unable to do these card dumps like they do in Hearthstone. That would that would um, that would put the game back to the growth path. Then we have TFT, and of course, I love this game. Um, I can still say that the battle pass is extremely unappealing, and um, there hasn't been any meaningful progression and social features. But I have reinstalled the game just to check it out because I think they added something new to make sure that that uh, if there's if there's some kind of social layer or some kind of competition where I could actually see. But at the moment, it's it's really not monetizing. But neither is any auto chess game. And finally, Wild Rift. I mean, if you go back to the uh, the post, I do a case of Arena of Valor versus Marvel Super War, which is a MOBA game, versus Realm of Champions. I'm looking at the RPIs. I'm looking at Wild Rift that is on par with Arena of Valor, which was the MOBA game that actually didn't do well in the um, in the market. And um, yeah, it's look like it looks like like uh, Riot is making a lot of uh, expensive UA, and they had a core audience that that you know, didn't really flock into the game when it launched. And I think they're going to keep it live and kind of wait till the uh, the launch in China. So the predictions for, for mobile, uh, for Variety on mobile is that I think all three games will kind of remain niche titles uh, with yearly portfolio revenue of below 50 million uh, a year for, for all three. Uh, I think Riot will keep on supporting these games with a straight steady stream of updates. And um, I don't think Riot is going to launch more titles on mobile in 2021. So we kind of underline like what could be a, a, our humble opinion for Riot to do in the future. And that 
the one is definitely like adopting a fair monetization model that are proven to work. So that means that the, you know the company is entering new market with an audience that is quite used to traditional free to play systems, and they're kind of you know in my opinion like bending over backward for be, almost being afraid to monetize their game and afraid of the vocal minority of their player base. But nevertheless, there's plenty of examples of even RPG games that are monetizing really well, like Puzzle and Empires, that that have great communities where communities actually happily talking about the gotcha systems, how much they spend, what kind of drop they got, and so forth. So I'm, I think they're kind of falsely worried about monetization. And the other two is, I think they should launch Valorant on mobile. I mean, of course, me and, and JK, we love shooters. So that would be additional shooter. Uh, I just think that there's there's going to be more space for that. And, um, and finally, it'd be great to see Riot taking more risks. So these games... You know, Runeterra is is quite close to Hearthstone. Uh, it's it's different a little bit, but it, it's still, you know, kind of League of Legends meets Hearthstone. Uh, then we have uh, we have TFT, which is which is the auto chess game. And it's you know, it's it's great, but it's not that different. And then again, the mobile game is is we have those type of mobile games. So it's not that original. So it'd be great that the company like Riot, which has those resources, which has all the developers, just a fantastic studio that they would actually take a little bit more risks in trying to do something that perhaps doesn't exist in the market and innovate. Just, you know, take a page out of maybe Supercell's uh, book. And the final one was, um, yeah, so in the sports predictions, I know you guys don't care about sports. They had a fantastic year. They grew to over a billion in revenues from about 850 that they did in 2019. In that prediction, we talked about NFL and NBA suffering, but they suffered in real life. So of course, EA's portfolio is going to suffer as, as the real franchises do. Uh, we talked about some of the uh, some of the games like 8-Ball Pool and Fishing Class, which actually are as big of a games as FIFA on mobile uh, and games like Madden that are on par with Tennis Clash. So that kind of means that that uh, as a key takeaway, you can get a lot of done in sports, even without an IP, because, you know, Fishing Clash, 8-Ball Pool, Tennis clash, uh, golf rivals. So there's there's definitely a lot you can do. You don't have to be EA, and you don't have to be glued to have the the MLB uh, IP. And um, and there's still ways for small companies to find their niche niche areas. There's a lot of small niche games that did pretty well uh, in the sports. And finally, out marketing actually works in the sports. So especially with a, with a, with a casual sports, it's. Um, when you don't have an IP, you can make a similar game like Golf Clash and Golf Rival, and maybe somebody will, will rival Tennis Clash. And you can just straight up steal players from them with just better marketing that has been happening to, to Golf Clash. So those are the predictions. You can go back to the, uh, the webpage and check them out. Um, yeah. What do you guys, any, any feedback on those? I, I'm just going to say one thing about Riot, which, <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, we predicted this ages ago that they would not, well, I did anyway, that they would not be successful with these games. I think Valorant did quite well um, compared to my expectations, but it's still, it's pretty much falling off a cliff, I think right now. Eh, it's all right. But the good news and what didn't happen that I expected to happen is they don't seem to be cannibalizing themselves, right? It seems like they've been able to maintain revenue on league and not get hurt by these launches that don't monetize, right? Team Fight Tactics, uh, Wild Rift, and Runeterra. <laughs> you know, like the, the, the shotgun approach that they did, that's what we said. I mean, it, this is not, it wasn't going to work, right? But, you know, the quality of the games were decent. It's just that they don't monetize. But again, the good news is that they haven't cannibalized themselves and they're still in, in really good shape 
for what they what they have. And now the organization has learned, and so maybe they reiterate and create something amazing next time. You know, their Diablo com- competitor or whatever else is coming. I do not oh, the MMO. Yeah, that that's looking. Yeah, I, I'm all that, in that on that shit. Yeah, yeah, sorry, the MMO, but I thought they were doing a Diablo thing as well. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. They should. Okay. <laughs> they yeah. should. No, I like dude. I mean, I think they're in some ways this strategy was smart, right? Because they basically now have built expertise, built tools, built tech, and 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 they could start iterating, right? Um, so maybe maybe ultimately I was wrong uh, originally, but not wrong about these games bombing, right? Um, so wait, what was I going to say? Dang it, I lost it. Oh, but the notion of bringing Valorant to mobile, come on, let's get, come on, Valorant is too twitchy, man. That's just like, I don't know, man. I don't know about these twitchy games on mobile. I just, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me, but we'll, we will see. Yeah. I don't know if that would be a successful. Kids, kids play, kids played Fortnite, so it could be that even, even. No, now. but Fortnite's not nearly as twitchy as that, That's right? True. It's also That's third true. person. Anyway, so, um, the other things about sports and racing, so I, I totally agree. Like sports is is done a lot better, uh, and primarily because of these tap sports type games, like much more casual clash royale, cl- ah, uh, golf royale. That, and I think that's really good. But the racing genre is still fucking abysmal, dude. I, and I don't know, people, please don't make racing games. There's just not a big market for this. You know, it's like. Uh, you know, the QQ success in China does not indicate potential success in North America and Europe. Dude, that shit's an MMO, dude. Like, that ain't going to work out here. So be, be very wary of racing, um, generally speaking. Uh, anyway, good predictions. A little verbose. Perhaps you can shorten it down to a few key points there, Mr. Mishka. I'm but, trying. Uh, I'm 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 a chief editor that that doesn't want to spend all his time on editing all these. I, I wrote the other strategy part. Uh, with- so let me let let me sum up your predictions though, just so just so that the the, the audience can understand. Supercell is toast this year. They're going to be down ten to fifteen percent. Riot's games are not going to be successful this year. They're going to have to continue to reiterate, and hopefully we'll see more sports growth. And and racing growth, but primarily driven by these super casual, like uh, you know, tchotchke style games, and not actually real sports games. Is that kind of sum it up? With with different wording, but but um, but yeah, dude, this is a fucking podcast. We're here to entertain. <laughs> We're not here to like. There are nuances. Pour. There are nuances that I that I was trying to to bring forward, especially with the like Supercell is just so interesting because it's so successful. And, and the way they grew, especially between 2012 and 2017, and their struggles now to grow, but they're not really struggling because they're extremely profitable. It's just interesting to cover and discuss these things, like like what should they be doing if they would be growing or like to, to achieve growth with the market. So it's just, it's just interesting. Yeah, and I would say they're also good guys, right? I mean, you generally get yeah. the sense that you know, I mean, there's there's some there's some evil in our industry, but they're they're probably not one of them. So. No, they're yes, amazing. Exactly. They're amazing developers. They're really creative, amazing developers. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, I, there's no doubt about it, right? That's I, why I don't I want to. Mad, I got nothing but mad respect for them, but I, I also don't think they can grow. Like they won't grow, ever. <laughs> you know, like with their current strategies, there's just no way they can grow, right? I mean, how hard is that to understand? There you go. And uh, All right. that's, All right. that's uh, the podcast. That's it. Right, yeah. And I'm glad we took out the blue hole comment. All right. <laughs> just, just saying. 
Yeah. So we started with EA and then we ended up with Supercell. That's really nice. <laughs> All right, guys. I think that's it. All right, it. guys. Catch until next later. time. Bye. Later. Bye. Bye.